We're continuing today with our message series, Firing on All Five Cylinders. Five cylinders being five core dynamics that every church needs in order to be healthy and to thrive as a body of Christ. We talked about the first cylinder, the first core dynamic last Sunday. It was, what was it? Does anyone remember? Grace-filled togetherness. Grace-filled togetherness. We're going to talk a bit more about that today, but in a different light, from a different perspective. I think we stopped at verse 2. We stopped at bearing with one another in love. And then Paul continues in verse 3 to say, we bear with one another in love, making every effort to maintain unity and preserve our bond of peace. As you continue reading through the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, which I hope you've done. We're going to spend a long time. Uh, you, you have time to read the entire book of Ephesians several times through before we move from it. So, but if you read through the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, let alone the context of the entire book of Ephesians, let alone the entire context of Paul's teachings throughout the New Testament, you begin to see an interesting pattern with respect to this make every effort to maintain unity and preserve peace. And I was reminded of a meatloaf song as I contemplated that. Who's familiar with meatloaf? Not the the dish that you eat, (laughs) but meatloaf, the the musical artist from the 70s who, um, did you know his album... I don't even know if I can say what the name of the album is here in church, but his album is, is one of the best-selling albums of all time. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it, not Meathead, Meatloaf, Meatloaf. Um, anyways, the song that this passage brought to mind was, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. But I won't do that. I hope many of you are familiar with the song. Now you're going to have it in your head all day. I, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And it seems like that's what Paul is saying on behalf of the church. We will do anything for love. We will do anything to maintain unity and preserve peace, but we won't do that. And he just names all these things that we won't do. Like, for instance, later on in the passage, he says, we won't be tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. He's not talking about people outside the church. He's talking about one of us. I mean, they walk among us, right? Some days we be them, right? He's saying, we will do anything for love. We will do whatever it takes to maintain unity and peace. We won't do that. And then he goes on. If you read through the rest of the the chapter, just naming different toxic ideas and toxic behaviors and toxic attitudes that we won't do. We won't do that. There are limits on our grace-filled togetherness. There are limits on what we do for love because to allow certain practices, certain ideas, certain attitudes and actions and words, to tolerate them is to actually be at war with love, right? To to embrace a, a peace at all costs, 
Strategy is a self-defeating strategy because one of the primary costs will be peace. There's limits on what we can do for love. The prophet Paul tells us, and meatloaf. (laughs) I want to talk today about three dangers of over-inflating grace-filled togetherness. This sense of community, unity, and preserving peace. Three dangers, three pitfalls. The first one is this. If we over-inflate, over-value community, unity, togetherness, we can become too inward-focused. We, we focus too much on ourselves. We, we get caught up in our own drama. Now, I came to Avon Mennonite Church a little over three years ago. One of the things that I heard from many, many of you, this wasn't a diagnosis that I brought to Avon Mennonite. This was something that you had self-diagnosed. And many of you told me, we are too inward-focused. We need to be more outward-focused. Now, three and a half years in, I think, I think you diagnosed right. I think you're right. Now, this is good news because, I mean, awareness of the problem is half the battle, right? So how do we, how do we make that shift and become more outward-focused? Well, part of it is understanding where the symptom comes from. The root is we have over inflated the role of togetherness, community, unity. Not overinflated it, but we have also, I think, misunderstood it. That's the first pitfall of overvaluing community, unity, and togetherness. Second pitfall is this. We can ignore or neglect the four other core dynamics that are necessary for a church to be healthy and a thriving body of Christ. Grace-filled togetherness is important, but it's not more important than these four other dynamics. They are all equally important. Now, I haven't talked about what those four other core dynamics are, so there's not much more to say about that. So let's, let's park that one. Let's put a pin in that one. Maybe we'll come back to it later. Because the third pitfall, the third danger, is the most severe and by far the greatest. And it's this. We can make togetherness We can make community, we can make unity our main thing. When we do, we have fallen into idolatry, right? We've made community our God. We have made togetherness our God. Our primary practice should not be idolatry. The main thing, what? is the main thing, if not community, if not unity, if not togetherness. Jesus talks about this quite often. One of the passages he refers to this is Matthew 6. And it's interesting the context of when Jesus says this. But Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek first. Focus on this above everything else. Make this your main thing. Seek the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This is the main thing. Now, the kingdom of God, sometimes that language can be a barrier to people hearing the truth of what Jesus is saying. There's two sides to that. One side is, frankly, we are becoming ridiculously oversensitive to language as a culture and as a church. Having said that, 
And that's another message series that is just brewing within me, but I'm like, I don't think I can preach that in love, so let's wait. But here's the thing. I don't want to let language get in the way of people hearing what Jesus is trying to communicate. Okay, so let's get rid of the kingdom language. That wasn't the point. I don't think Jesus would be upset if we started using different terminology for what he was trying to communicate to us. So what is Jesus trying to communicate through the kingdom of God? We should probably understand it because Jesus said it's the main thing. It's what we should focus on more than anything else. Well, the kingdom of God is simply wherever... God is recognized as the center of the universe and as the ultimate authority and power in the universe. And then responded to rightly. Right? So that's the kingdom of God. So if we could shorten that up, because that's kind of long. If we could shorten that up, it's simply this. To recognize and respond to God's presence. Like the real presence of God. Not an idea. Not a doctrine about God's presence. Not a nice thought about God's presence. The actual reality of God's presence in our midst. Simplicity is so key. I've realized that it's, it's an essential ingredient in transformation. We cannot experience transformation without simplicity. I think our world is craving for simplicity. It's such a confusing world. There's so many options. And there's so many different ideas of what could be true. Your truth, my truth. Every day, I mean, in the postmodern context, every day we wake up and then we we have to create our own meaning, right? And it gets exhausting. Simplicity. We are craving simplicity. What I discovered, I I have been trying to get in shape for many years and have tried all sorts of things. I've had a gym membership for as long as I can remember. And it was in January... I joined this place called CrossFit, not that I'm endorsing a business in church, but I'll tell you this, what was so key about it was the simplicity. When I went to the gym on my own, I was like, okay, I think I worked on my legs on Monday, so today I should do this, okay, should I use those machines? At CrossFit, I walk in and they tell me, here's what we're doing, do this right now, do it harder, you're not, your techniques, they, they tell me what to do. It's beautiful, it's simplicity, I don't have to think about it. I go to the gym on my own. By the time I'm done thinking about it, I'm like, oh man, I got 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> simplicity. Same as this eating plan that Shane introduced me to. The, the, the beauty of it is simplicity because I don't have to think about what I have to eat. I can only eat about seven things. <laughs> right? <laughs> the simplicity is beautiful. There's no thinking about it. Like, okay, I can have 1,800 calories today, so if I have this now, I can have... No thinking about that stuff. Simplicity is key. I want to give you the gift of simplicity in your spiritual life today. I think God wants to give it. And the simplicity of your spiritual life doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you're doing, doesn't matter what you're going through. The simplicity of your spiritual life is this. This is priority number one, 24-7. Be present with God's presence. That's your main thing. That is your main priority. Now think about the context of what Jesus is talking about when he gives us this mandate. Here's what you need to value. Here's what you need to pursue with your whole being more than anything else. You need to pursue the presence of God. He's talking about the basic necessities of life. He's saying, don't get concerned. You know, do you have enough food to feed your family? Do you have, you know, do you have clothing and shelter? Focus on being present with God's presence. I don't know about you, but it's been a while since I've been in tune 
with the basic necessities of life. I can't recall the last time where I really, you know, sat down with Tammy. I don't know how we're going to feed the kids today. Or I don't know, I don't know if we're going to have, be able to provide adequate shelter for the kids this winter from the elements. I, I can't remember the last time I've, I've thought that. How many of us are in tune with the basic necessities of life? Most of what we assume are our needs. Most of the things that consume our energy and our attention are luxuries. Absolute luxuries. Now, if Jesus is saying, and these are people, most of the people Jesus talks to are peasants who are actually in tune with the basic needs of life. If he says to them, stop thinking about food and clothing and shelter, Your main thing in every situation is to be present with God's presence. What would Jesus say to us? What would Jesus say to me? What does Jesus say to me more and more often throughout the week? Because I tend to be listening more. Why are you thinking about that? All these other things are secondary. And it's not that they're not important. Your RSPs are important. Getting that cottage, I'm sure, is important. The new car, the job promotion, all that stuff is important in its own light. I mean, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is to value things in, in light of their true worth. The only way we can learn that is by being present with God's presence. Jesus, with Mary and Martha, I'll go back to that story. Only one thing necessary. One thing necessary in life. Only one thing is essential. I don't know if we understand this. One thing, be present with God's presence. This morning, I, as I am prone to do, I'm like, should I change my sermon? We are grieving. We are a community in mourning. Should I change my message? Bring a word of comfort. And the Spirit of God was very clear to me. A, the hubris that you think there's something you could say that would comfort people, you're not, you're not that comforting. Hey, that's not really a gift I've given you, Troy. Don't go there. I've given you one job. Talk about simplicity. I love the, the more I grow spiritually, simplicity. God has told me I have one job. And the part of that is not to be distracted by a lot of people's expectations for me. God has given me one job, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to point people to the presence of God. That's it. So I was reminded to do that this morning. Because your words aren't going to comfort people. The comforter is the one who comforts people. (laughs) Point people to the Holy Spirit. That's what I hope I'm doing this morning. The main thing, to be present with God's presence. So we don't experience togetherness as a community. We don't experience unity and peace and all those good things. They are good. They're necessary. But we don't experience them by focusing on one another. We don't experience them by focusing on community. What, what is, if we go back to the words of Paul in verse 3, what does he say? Make every effort... To maintain the unity with one another? No. Make every effort to maintain unity 
of the community? No. What is it? The Spirit. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's the only way we can experience unity is if we are connected to the same Spirit. That's why he goes on to say there's one body because there's one Spirit. I can't experience unity and peace with Shane or with any of you unless we are both connected to the same Spirit. Jesus in John 15 doesn't say, make sure you remain in one another. Make sure you stay connected to one another. No, he says, make sure you stay connected to the vine. That is your connection. You experience oneness with each other by being one with the Spirit. The best thing that you can do to bring true peace and unity and community to Avon Mennonite Church is to be present with God's presence, to be in harmony with the one Spirit who brings us together. I don't care how great of a peacemaker you are. You can't bring peace to this body or any other body. I mean, what do we sing? Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his body, he has made us one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. One thing. We all have one thing. One priority. Every day, all day. Be present with God's presence. Not the idea or the doctrine of God's presence. The actual presence of God. Paul continues in verse 13. When you come into unity of the faith. Again, this word unity. When you come into unity of faith. That means trust. So our unity is because we're trusting the same God. And then what does Paul say? And the knowledge of Christ. Now this isn't an intellectual apprehension or grasping of facts about Jesus. Now in the Bible, to know someone means to experience the deepest level of intimacy with. For example, Adam knew Eve. What happened? A baby. Right? That's how we are called to know Christ, the deepest level of intimacy possible. Only through that will we experience unity. That's the unity of our trust. And then Paul goes on to say this. When you enter maturity into the measure of the fullness of Christ. Maturity. So unity is connected with maturity. Maturity is actually measurable, Paul is saying here. How is it measured? By the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? The presence of Christ does not increase as you mature. Uh, Sometimes we pray and we mean well by saying, you know, God, show up. What we really mean by that is, let us show up because you're already here, right? Uh, One of the very core doctrines of Christianity is the omnipresence of God. So wherever we go, God is there. God's not showing up anywhere. God (laughs) has shown up a long time ago and still is present. Paul says, Christ is all and in all. So Christ's presence is a constant. 
Wherever we are, Christ is present. What increases, what we can measure, is our awareness of Christ's presence and our responsiveness to the presence of Christ. Now, the word fullness is interesting because the ultimate maturity is when the fullness of Christ has been realized in our consciousness. Let me put it a different way that's, I think, a bit more understandable. When your life is full of Christ, full of the awareness that Christ is present and you are responding to the real presence of Christ. And let me break it down more for you. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, if the worship band just sings the right song, you have this moment of awareness of Christ being present with you. And then if you're lucky, next Sunday you might have another one of these moments where you're, oh, Christ is present. To mature means those moments are happening more and more. So Tuesday morning when you're frustrated at work, you become aware of the presence of Christ and respond accordingly. And Thursday night, when the kids are about to drive you to the point of perhaps a misdemeanor or a felony, you, you have this moment where you become aware of the presence of Christ and you respond accordingly. And more and more consistently, you can measure it with increasing frequency, with increasing intensity. Your life is starting to be filled with these moments of awareness of the presence of Christ and you respond accordingly. The measure of the fullness of Christ. Start measuring. You know, oh, spiritual growth is one of those intangible things. Sort of. The fruit of the Spirit is pretty tangible, though. Yeah. And until we get our heads around, actually, the presence of Christ is very tangible. If it's always intangible and abstract and, and just an idea for you, you, you're missing the point. Okay, now I need to check in. I, I, I seem worked up, God. Okay, after we enter into maturity, we are starting to experience a life filled with Christ, not just Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, we're starting to, our awareness is becoming flooded with the presence of Christ. Then, then you are no longer children, you're no longer immature, influenced and deceived by the ideas and teachings. You're no longer paralyzed by various versions of truth. You're no longer influenced and rocked by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. We are no longer taken off course. We are no longer rocked because we, are, we start to see with the depth of Christ. We start to see when people are, are acting and when groups are acting out of the flesh, out of ego, out of false self and pain body. And we, don't, and we don't get worked up over it. We don't add to the drama, right? We see. We see, okay, I see what's happening here. And we don't get rocked to it. Yeah, I love this idea of just being blown to and fro. Oh, 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 oh. No. No, stuff comes at us. Poof. Poof. You know, it just bounces off, man. I am anchored. I am anchored in Christ the rock. Amen. And what do we do? What does Paul say when we're mature, when we become aware, increasing awareness of the presence of Christ within us and all around us? What do we do? We speak the truth in love. Now there is a provocative statement. Is it maybe one of the most misunderstood and abused phrases in the Bible? And this brings us to the second cylinder, 
a courageous commitment to truth. And that's what we're going to talk about next week.